Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. I hope you're well. I know it's been a while. We've been uh, very busy over at KRG Hospitality, but we are back and we're back with an awesome guest. We have Roberta Mariani, the global ambassador for Martini, and she is also an IWSC judge and a regional judge for Tales of the Cocktail. How's it going? Hello, David. It's really good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. I know you're calling in from London, so I appreciate it. No worries anytime. So I'm just going to jump right into it. And you have a very cool career trajectory that I find very interesting. I think we'll just start from the beginning. What inspired you to enter into the hospitality industry? Oh, really good question. Thank you. I started thinking with, as most of the people in hospitality, to pay the bills while studying. Uh, so I was university, studying Oriental languages, and during summer I started this w- job in my native city, Latina, just outside Rome, and it was a coffee place. So I was a barista making coffee, and for somehow I was addicted to the sound of the coffee place stacking on top of each other, and the smell of the coffee still today is one of the best memories of my life. Every time they open a can of coffee, I just start smiling. And then I did a few years in, as a shop assistant in high fashion retailer. It wasn't really my call. Come back in a bar. And this time was in a cocktail bar. So from morning to evenings. And there is where the magic happened. So I started as a cocktail waiter, a cocktail waitress. So I'm flowing on the floor and engaging with the guests. And I was really, I don't know, I was fascinated from, by the bar and the bartenders. So for me, it was like, yeah, I love to serve the guests and suggesting drinks, but I actually want to make the drinks. I want to be the person that is fusing science and arts and creating something from different ingredients. So it was fascinating. And soon I fell in love with the profession. And then inside, then during my last year at university, I still got my degree because otherwise my parents, they will never allow me to change <laughs> career without a piece of paper. And I moved to London to carry on with the profession as bartender. Uh, we're still talking about more than 10 years ago in Italy. Uh, being a woman that want to be a bartender, it wasn't so easy. So I felt then for me, the right place to be will be London. And what was the spark, do you think, that motivated you to pursue the science behind cocktail building? Because I know you have an interest in that. Was it a certain cocktail that you saw get made or an ingredient? I think I'm just a really curious person. Uh, I'm a geek by nature. So I like to understand how things work from the inside. So for me, was at the beginning, was, okay, this blending like science and arts because I've always been... You know, I've studied science in high school, I've got like basic chemistry, but then start to work with ingredients and understand why the ingredients, they work well together, thinking about molecular flavor compounds. And then I'm going, going even more to think about, you know, why we like what we like. Some of my favorite books, they're like, you know, cooking for gigs or like uh, neurogastronomy, uh, all these kind of things that basically they help to explain the human behavior. A taste of smell and the social part of it. So I think it's just a curiosity to know how things they work together. And you've also worked at some of the best hotels in London. 
And this is maybe a kind of a big question, but what do you think was the biggest lesson or a couple lessons for hospitality that you took working from those hotels? I love these questions. And um, I think it was one of the most experienced. I came from a street bar um, in Italy. And then when I moved to London, I was working in hotel bars. And I think the setting and the structure that you learn working uh, in a hotel bar is something essential. Uh, something I would recommend to any bartenders, they want to make bartending as the profession of their life. Uh, the importance of the guest experience, high standard of service. Uh, one of the most important things to learn is like never say no. Uh, sometimes when you work in street bar, especially if they're a small bar and you're a young bartender, you might be a little pretentious and you say, no, we don't do this kind of drinks. We don't do in hotel bars, you learn it, then you can't say no. So you need to figure out the way to do it or like, you know, how you politely say no to someone without saying no. Having this kind of flexibility really helped me to grow as a professional, I think. And you also opened Bar Termini, and that is in the Soho District of London. For our listeners who are maybe unaware, it's very fashionable. It's an entertainment district. It's a place to see and be seen and try new things. So what did opening Bar Termini teach you? It was a great lesson. Bar Termini was the quintessential Italian aperitivo place. So it was a perfect fit for me. Uh, be able to export the Italian culture to the UK. Uh, what I really loved of the bar was e the high standard, but made in a friendly place more like a neighborhood bar. I loved having friends from the hospitality or like guests uh, popping for a quick coffee, maybe coming later in the evening for a cocktail. And then some of the guests coming with their daughters or the sons in the morning and then coming with the date in the night. Like I love the kind of vibe. Um, I learned the importance of a strong team because in a, such a small place, uh, like 25 seats, you need to make sure then, uh, you know, the team works really well together. Um, be precise and like all the details they need to look after you can leave nothing to the case you just need to organize yourself all the time otherwise it doesn't work so it, when we're talking about drinks I think is the complexity of the drinks because obviously Bartelmini was working with the drinks factory so there was a lot of the signs and this kind of a really amazing ingredients but served in a simple way and for me, this is one of the key because you don't want to um, overwhelm your guests with a lot of different and strange names. You want them to have a great experience, but at the same time, you can have fun you know, on the back of the house with your Rotavap and all this kind of amazing uh, technologies. That's a great point. If people are afraid to pronounce something or they see an ingredient that they don't know what it is, they're, sometimes they're afraid to ask and they just won't order it and they have a great cocktail on the menu. That never gets ordered. So doesn't do you much yeah. good. You are Definitely. now the global brand ambassador for Martini. I think the past six years, how did you land that role? So while I was in Bartermini, we were running a series of masterclasses on aperitivo culture, on Vermo, Tamaro, uh, working with the previous global ambassador. And when he left the position, um, they were looking for someone to replace him. Uh, my name was one of the names dropped. And obviously, from a little Italian girl, from coming from a little city, uh, being asked, you know, even just the, the potential of becoming the global ambassador of such iconic brand, it was a call that I couldn't say no. 
So I was happy to, you know, raise my hand and say, yes, I will be <laughs> more than happy to try and go through all the interviews. Luckily, they, you know, they chose me. And now it's been like six years uh, working with Martini. As the global brand ambassador, I mean, do you really travel everywhere and you get to see just the best bars and restaurants and hotels? I know, it sounds really like a pretty <laughs> job. <laughs> Um, yes, definitely before the pandemic, I was traveling much more. At one point, it was even too much. And it's been like a more balanced since the pandemic because we're more focused and we found a different way to run training, all these kind of things. But it gave me a lot of opportunities to see different cities, uh, bring the aperitivo culture around the world, meeting new friends. And that's what I love most of the hospitality is the community. You can go anywhere in the world and you're going to sit at the bar. You're going to find someone that speaks the same language than you. And you're going to just connect immediately and you're going to have such a great experience. That is very true. I always like uh, when someone's in the weeds and if we're bar professionals, restaurant professionals at the bar, we all just stop talking and let them do their thing because we know like, oh, okay, let's let them catch up. And then the regular guests usually have no idea that this person is absolutely swamped. So it's. It's fun. Plus, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned the sounds of like a coffee shop. The sounds of a bar, I think, are the same, like the ice and the glasses and all the sounds of a of a bar to me also just draw me in. So I have to ask, so and you, you don't have to mention if you if you don't want to call one out, but do you have a favorite martini product that you're working with right now? Oh, it's like asking <laughs> for a favorite child. Um, I think like I've got probably two answers. Uh, one is the Martini Reserva Speciale Bitter, just because it was the first project I worked on uh, when I joined Martini. So it's really close to my heart, you know, for, um, organizing the launch and the first uh, project and program about it. Um, the second is something more recent is the non-alcoholic. I think it just because I'm in a kind of phase of my life when, you know, sometimes I feel like I need the balance or I don't want to drink all the time. So the non-alcoholic, I think they give a lot of great opportunity. Like the other night I was out all night in bars and I didn't touch a drop of alcohol. It was just like a non-alcoholic drink. So I think that the moment is quite interesting as a, as a product to work with. It's a huge market right now. I mean, the, the push, especially in the States, for non-alcohol, but still the drinking experience. I was one of the few, I guess, who thought it wasn't going to go anywhere years ago, and I was definitely proven wrong. So we happily. were all there. <laughs> we were all there, and I think like consumers today, they're really looking to like a non-alcoholic uh, product. Uh, they want the same experience, same taste, but without the alcohol. I think the trade didn't catch up yet. Uh, I see more and more bar developing their menus and section of the menus on alcoholic but in some of the european um, countries for instance like italy they'll be bit behind it um probably because it's something that's been pushed by consumers and it's not coming from the trade so there is always like the moment where okay let me let me watch you know the kind of approach like i'm gonna sit and watch and then let's see that does make sense and i think you've already touched on this but i just wanted to ask what you think is the the best part of being the global ambassador for Martini? Well, representing such iconic brand with more than 60 years of heritage is quite amazing, especially when you grow up in Italy and you're Italian. But I think even more than that is like being able to be an ambassador of the Italian culture at the aperitivo around the world. I think this is something that's even stronger than the brand itself. That's by 
Isat is quite strong. <laughs> no denying. I wanted to touch on this too because I wrote an article about this after it happened. And I think we've all in the industry heard about the Negroni Spagliato controversy. <laughs> that, you know, I say controversy in quotes because I don't think it, I mean, it is mostly funny. But what is your take on when a, a bartender or a bar team sees a cocktail just explode in popularity and they just start hating it? Is it just that they think the drink isn't good or they just don't like the hive mind or what do you think it is? I don't think it's a product. And again, personal point of view, I think it's most of the time when something's coming from the, especially from the consumers, it's almost like they've been forced to make this drink. So they want to hate it. They don't want to accept it. And if I think about what is happening like in the past two, three weeks with the Negroni Sbagliato, I feel like you just discovered the hot water. Like we've been making this Sbagliato <laughs> forever. Like why everybody that so excited about it? There is nothing. And also think when I watched the video, I was like, yes, it's Negroni Sbagliato with Prosecco in it. Well, yes, it's Negroni Sbagliato, it's Prosecco in it. <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't be Negroni Sbagliato so I feel like all these kind of things that just like they, they make the bartender hitchy a little bit so um, I think this is more it's not because they don't think it's a good drink I actually think it's a really good drink um, easier much easier than the Negroni uh, classic so we'll see <laughs> I, I think I said it wrong but I like this Sbagliato I, I wrote about it a few years ago like I, I rounded up like a bunch of different Negroni riffs. And of course, there are the nerds who are like, if it's not these three ingredients and a one to one to one, then it's not a Negroni. But I mean, we have to riff on the classics if we're going to introduce some new things. Although, as you point out, it's not a new drink. So I don't know where the hatred came from. I do think it's fun to let the bartender community vent a little bit. Like, you know, they they weren't really, oh. I don't think, telling anybody, no, I'm not going to make it. They just wanted to vent a little bit. So. I take it you're a fan of the Spagliato. And they do all the time. I am. It's not not my favorite drink, um, but I think it's quite nice. And I can see consumers enjoying it. I've been watching the the bar, you know, culture change and trends and consumer trends. And I think it's safe to say, I mean, there are cocktail books that came out and menus um, that Italian drinks. We're seeing a rise in the popularity in you know, the actual ingredients and then the actual cocktails, but also the actual culture around enjoying these. So you've mentioned aperitivos a few times. I, I think it's safe to say that you're a, you're an ambassador for aperitivos as well. I think there's sort of a ritual to enjoying these. And I just wanted to ask, like, why is the aperitivo so iconic? Oh, what a question. <laughs> I think I think it's the ritual itself. It's like meeting your friends early evening before dinner, having a drink uh, with something to eat. It's just this moment where you really can, you know, relax and enjoy the company of your friends. And I think there is a big difference between aperitivo and the happy hour. I think the happy hour is almost like you celebrating the end of the day. For us, aperitivo is celebrating the beginning of the evening. I think it's, it's quite different as a concept. And, you know, the aperitivo has always been there as such a long tradition. We're going back to the Romans enjoying like food with, uh, with drinks that were helping the digestion as a medicine. But then if we're going back to touring, where everything started, the aperitivo, it was at the center of the community. 
aperitivo was born because there was a need for people to meet. Uh, we're talking about a period where, you know, the houses, they were cold, there was no heating, uh, there was no electricity. So what we were doing, they were going to the cafe, they were going with this kind of recreation place, and they were having time together to talk, and then they're having a bite and something to drink. So it was the community that really helped the aperitivo to to raise and to become what it is today. And from there, you've got the Diora de Peri, the Lora del Vermut. They was when in touring people that were drinking vermouth during the aperitivo, and then been touring the capital of Italy, just spread it all around Italy and became the thing. You know, you want just to around people talk and having a bite. I would say, what a life! <laughs> what not <You> like? <laughs> Hi there. Just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. Do you think... America is sort of behind the times on vermouth because I remember caught four or five years ago where suddenly people had dedicated vermouth menus where we really only had like two or three vermouths until you know 2019 or 2018. Do you think it's just that we didn't know about them or just the aperitivo culture wasn't taking hold yet or do we just not have enough vermouths to, to understand them? Oh, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> so we're going really back in the history. Uh, Vermouth was um, actually was already in uh, in US from from the beginning. It was exported there. It was a big market even for Martini. Um, we were like I think like 80 percent top share of Vermouth in the United States. Everything changed with the prohibition. Obviously, I don't need to teach you the history, so you know <laughs> what happened and. Basically, all the products that were ex- imported from outside that were like stopped. So there was no vermouth going to the US anymore. They started to make their own vermouth for a while, but then it was too expensive and it wasn't really bringing anything to the plate because it was too complex to create compared to gin or other like kind of um, spirits. So Bartender, they stopped to work with vermouth because there was no availability of the product. And let's say then they forgot during that year, then vermouth was actually available. And as a trend after the prohibition, what people they were doing were creating these really boozy and punchy cocktails because that's what the kind of spirits then they have it. It's almost like when you're asking to someone to don't drink, they're going to drink more. Is I think is the, you know, it's always the, the case. So it took really long time then for the for the Americans to rediscover vermouth because also like vermouth is quite bitter. Uh, vermouth, I'm talking like Amaro bitter, all the kind of aperitivo uh, products in general. You've got the bitter component and the American palate is slightly more sweet than, um, than a European one. So it took a little bit more time for the appreciation and then also people not keeping the vermouth in the fridge, it didn't help. <laughs> Um, most of the time they speak with people and they were like, ah, I tried vermouth many years ago. I really didn't like, there was a bottle in the cabinet of my grandmother. So probably the first experience of people with vermouth in the past 50 years was with the oxidite 
old stained kind of vermouth where vermouth should be drunk fresh. Uh, I think only all the education has been done in the past 10 years really helped to raise uh, the standards of the vermouth around. Bartender finally understood that vermouth is a wine, so you need to keep it in the fridge once open. Please, bartender, if you listen, keep your vermouth <laughs> in the fridge. And that really helped. Also, there was a really big vibe on everything made in Italy. I think the made in Italy grew um, really in, in an incredible way. And that helped all the Italian culture and then Italian drinks and aperitivo. Everything Italian was really hot. So basically today, be Italian is trendy. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> I think there's a book like How to Drink Italian that came out a couple of years ago or maybe a few years ago. And that's just one book that came out about the culture. So it's cool to see the aperitivos back. I think we're seeing actual menu sections that will say aperitivos and it's not just uh you know an pour of vermouth it's actually a whole cocktail section which brings me to my next question if you were asked by uh, an operator how do i go about creating an aperitivo menu that doesn't just it's not just a list of cocktails it's like the whole ritual or you know slowing someone down and starting their evening off how would you approach that so when we're talking about Beritivo, there is one element that is fundamental. And sometimes people, um, bartenders, they forget is the drink they need to have a light bitterness. Uh, bitterness is actually the stimulating uh, part of the drink. It's what makes the drinks functional to, for the aperitivo. Aperitivo is coming from the Latin aperitivos, that's too open. So to have this kind of opening kind of feeling, the functional benefit, you need the, the bitterness. So you need to create a cocktail menu with different level of bitterness, because again, it's really subjective. Uh, some people, they can tolerate it. Some people, they tolerate it better. So you can go from a lighter drink to a really bitter, more punchy drink. Um, but the bitterness needs to be there. One of the important uh, things as well is to have refreshing on drinks. We see more and more consumers looking for this kind of drinks. Uh, aperitivos for them is a moment to enjoy, to relax. So they shouldn't be really boozy. And if they got a kind of freshness and bubble, the consumers, they really look into these things. And the really important is the food pairing. Because aperitivo is not just drinks, it's drinks and food. Now, this is something that you just need to learn, uh, the pairing of food and drinks. There are some basic rules then, like you wouldn't serve a bitter food with a bitter drinks because the experience, they will be like horrible. Like if you have a bitter drink, you want to pair with like, you know, like a, Hat cheese or something that is a little bit more rounded is going to help to cut down the bitterness. All these kind of things. Um, they're really well known by the wine world. You know, like so many years they do all the time pairing the wines with the food. And when we're doing an aperitivo menu, we need to have to think about in the same way. Um, another tip is to have a small bite. I love pizza and drinks, but pizza is not really like an aperitivo. You want something more like a finger food, something easy to make. And while I really love the intermediate, like we didn't have any kitchens, but we were able to make uh, some food anyway. You know, you can have charcuteries, you can have like cheese board, uh, we can do something that you prepare in the lab. So there are different ways for bars to make more money, because let's be honest, one of the most um, appreciated things in a bar talking about aperitivo is you serving food alongside the drinks so the guests they're gonna order more drinks they're gonna stay in the place for longer they're gonna spend more money because at the end we all doing business 
So all these kind of tricks and tips that can really help to also cover a part of the day where usually bars, they're not really busy. You know, most of the time you go in a cocktail bar by eight, nine o'clock and they're going to be really busy until closing. But if you can cover the five, seven o'clock with an aperitivo, you're just making more money for your business. And if you're making more money, you're going to have more money to invest on education, ingredients and making your team happier. Do you think maybe even calling it aperitivo hour instead of happy hour would maybe resonate with more people like kind of communicate we're not ending work we're starting your night or something like that i would love that we've been trying to educate for the past years about it i know for um you know i know for sure then like even the word aperitivo doesn't really resonate yet with the americans because it's a concept then they understand the day, daily drinking or like uh, light or refreshing Aperitivo is still like a foreign word. So we need to do a lot of work to educate. But I think it's a completely different concept of happy hour. If you say happy hour, people think about drinks, boozy, and all like all you can drink, all you can eat, like low quality, um, high pace, while aperitivo is almost the opposite. It's like a slow pace, you're having fun with your friends, really good drinks with a little bite. So I think calling aperitivo it will really, really help. So this is kind of a loaded question, but if an operator was like, I need a aperitivo menu, didn't quite know where to start. Are there like three classics that you think should be in every aperitivo menu? Yes. <laughs> I will start with Americano cocktail. I think Americano is much more approachable. Uh, I'm a big fan of Negroni. It's one of my favorite drinks, but it's quite polarizing. And if you're not used to the bitterness or the, or the alcohol, it can be really strong. So uh, for someone that is not used to the kind of drinks, Americano is much more easy and approachable, longer, refreshing. So definitely Americano. Then I will go with the Negroni, just because in the past year it has been ranking so high in all the kind of research. So if you need to have a Negroni, you can have different twists on it. You can change the vermouth. You can add infusion so you can really make a, a twist to make it interesting or even just a different serve and i'm thinking about the negroni at sips in barcelona where they've got the ice that is not melting so you can create something really interesting uh, things around the negroni and then for the third cocktail oh this is hard <laughs> um i'm gonna stay with the long drinks just because it's aperitivo so i'm gonna say vermouth and tonic this is an easy fix you can have different types of vermouth in your fridge, obviously in your fridge, and then different <laughs> kind of tonics. And then you can make a really great cocktail in three seconds that's going to be super tasty. So simple, simple as that. So kind of putting you on the spot, but as far as seasonal goes, you know, summer is, you know, the Aperol spritz or, or similar cocktail, but what are you drinking now and, and what will you drink in the winter as far as aperitivos? Okay, so um, a kind of classic, I like classic drinks and I like bitterness and I like dry. This is my style. So I will say for autumn, winter, a classic Negroni or a Boulevardier. So whiskey instead of gin, but on the rocks, because I like it more on the rocks than uh, straight up. For summer, I would say an Americano. I like um, an Americano is actually our version is called De La Casa as the martini bitter with Fiero and a grapefruit soda. 
that it's really tasty and a little bit more refreshing because Fiero has a lot of citrusiness. Spring, I'm gonna make you happy. I'm gonna say a Negroni sbagliato. There we go. With <laughs> but uh, with um, white vermouth instead of red, something like uh, the Martini Ambrato or even extra dry to make it a little bit more crispy and refreshing. And that's it. I think one of my favorite all time. I'm really, really classic, but like the extra dry and soda water. I have to try that. I don't think the, I've ever done that. It's so simple. It's really like clean on the palate, refreshing. And again, you can find so many different kind of vermouth and sodas, then it's always a win. So I know you might not be able to say anything, but are there any martini products that we should be on the lookout for that are coming or are you not allowed to say? There are mostly, <laughs> I can say. Um, I think the future has a lot of opportunities. And um, I'm also going to have some more news to share and announce soon. So keep an eye on my Instagram account. And uh, I'm going to have a, another conversation next year. Well, if you want to share your Instagram and the rest of your social so the audience can keep track, that'd be a good time to do that now. Of course. So you can follow me on Instagram and the um, end up is aperitivo with me. That's perfect. I made it super easy. <laughs> <laughs> and then if people want to follow along with what Martini is up to, do you have a couple social media handles you can share with that? So there is the global channel. There is just at Martini. Perfect. Very simple. I like it. <laughs> super simple. Well, I was going to ask you what else you're working on, but you just said that we need to uh, to be patient and wait for you to, to mention that. So I won't bother with that one. But to close things out, are there any cocktail trends that you're seeing take hold that have caught your attention or that you're into? I'm looking to cocktail trends really often because it helps us to understand where the trade is going, where consumers are going. And again, what really strikes is the need for longer, refreshing drinks. Um, I think I see um, recently bartenders started talking about the low ABV, um, low alcohol drinks. Low alcohol doesn't exist for consumers. It's something that the bartenders, they are creating because for them it's a compromise between the alcohol and the non-alcoholic. But for the consumers, it's more like they drink or they don't. Um, so I think my advice is just for the for the bartenders, the non-alcoholic and the moderation is quite big. It's a trend that's going to stay and it's growing. And I think it's really important for us to get on board um, because otherwise we're going to lose a, a big piece of business and we're going to become irrelevant. Because if the trend and the consumers are going there, we are not able to provide. At the end, like, I think be a bartender is just make sure that your guest has an amazing experience and mix something, building science and art. It doesn't matter if the art and science is done with the non-alcohol or is made with alcohol. It's just the experience that you're delivering that should matter. That is fantastic. And I really had not thought about the fact that consumers aren't looking for, in, in general, aren't going, well, what's the full ABV, what's the low, and what's the non? They are drinking or they're not. And I guess when you're close to the industry, you don't, I didn't think about that. I was like, oh, no, they, they're seeking out low ABV, but that's probably a small percentage that knows what that means. So excellent point and definitely excellent point about the experience. I, I love that.
Well, Roberta, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you, David. That was really good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clem. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at Ask Bar Hacks and Instagram at Bar Hacks. Talk to you soon.